0: I'd like to welcome everyone signing on with us, Facebook Live, or on our podcast later. Konnichiwa. How do you say it in Korean? (laughs) Come on back, friends. All right. Any life in the house today? Yes? Yes. Kamalia back there. Thank you, girl. It is my great joy to welcome you this morning to Dwell Church. My name is Josh Houston. I'm one of the pastors here. It's Christmas time. Anybody else? Gosh, I love Christmas. We're in December. I love December. This is my favorite time of the year. It brings out joy in me. It brings out gratitude and wonder like no other season for me. However, I have a a little cynic in me. Anybody else have that? Anybody have a little voice that just follows them around everywhere? I've unintentionally developed this unique ability to find joy in something and then complain about it at the same time. Anybody know how to do that? Anybody? Yes. I love Christmas time. I love that we come back around to Advent, that we come back around to celebrating the birth of Jesus, um, that we get to remind ourselves why we're here and what, what this is all about. It's so beautiful. And every single year, The church comes back around to Advent and back around to celebrating the birth of Jesus again. I get it. Jesus was born. I heard about it last year and the year before and the year before. (laughs) Now, maybe you guys don't struggle with your inner cynic like I do, but it's constant for me. and what What I've learned to do is put some judo on it. Rather than let it just do its thing, especially when I'm preparing to preach, I like to, rather than muffle that voice, I like to pay attention to the voice. Because what I've discovered is when when I pay attention to that cynic in me, I, I see some of you guys start like, yes, thank you. Like, thank you for acknowledging that because I have that in me as well. I want you to know, coming into this Christmas season, Nick and I have very intentionally thought through this sermon series that we're working through Because we don't want to just talk at you about Christmas and about the the nativity scene one more year again. Our hope is that you'd be able to engage with this story in a new way, with with a new angle. So last week we began our sermon series, Through Their Eyes. We're looking at the the Christmas story through the perspectives, through the vantage points of the different characters in the story. Last Sunday I preached a, a message on Christmas through ancient Israel's eyes, which is Advent, which actually starts today. And in future weeks, we're going to be looking at the Christmas story through Joseph's eyes, through the shepherd's eyes, through Jesus' eyes, and through the Magi's eyes. That's going to be fun. We're actually going to do that one in January because it's after Christmas because the Magi showed up late to the party. Don't know what we're going to do with it yet, but that's going to be fun. Our prayer is hopefully that as you've matured another year, as you've grown up another year, you have new eyes to see the same story. And to take it a step further, hopefully you have eyes to see that this isn't just a 2,000-year-old story, but that it's actually your story. Today, we're going to look at the Christmas story through the perspective of Mary. And what I hope to cover is this. I want to take a close look at how severely God interrupted Mary's life and how she responded and how her story has anything to do with how you live your life tomorrow morning. Today, I want to preach a message entitled Through Mary's eyes. My daughter, Aria, she's almost four years old, and she loves jokes right now. She doesn't really get jokes. She she just thinks jokes are like to make you laugh. It's just silly. doesn't necessarily mean there's logic behind it, but sometimes she gets some. And her favorite one right now is this knock-knock joke. Amber, can you help me out? Knock-knock. Interrupting cow. Moo. (laughs) (laughs) And she just like cracks up over it. I love it. It's so funny. And, and inter- like, this joke makes interruption funny and cute. But how many of you know interruption is not funny and it's not cute? It's annoying. In real life, when, you, when your sleep gets interrupted, when your show gets interrupted, when you get cut off mid sentence, or your plans are being thwarted, or your intentions are being overthrown, interruption sucks. It sucks, and it sucks because it gets at the core of who we are as persons. It hits our will. It's our will that says, I want my way, my time, my purposes. And interruption, it sneaks in and it subverts our will, it threatens our will. That's why we can't stand it. So when I see someone that gets interrupted and then they respond graciously, I just want to applaud them. Man, that was spectacular. You have inspired me to be greater because I suck at what you just did. There are certain people that can handle interruption very gracefully. And they're like a superior breed of people. And one of these people was Mary. Her story is just, it's like the incarnation of grace after interruption. And I want to show you why. If you brought your Bible or your Bible app, I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And Luke is the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And maybe you've heard this story before, maybe you've even read it this morning because Advent started today. But what I hope to accomplish today through this is to come at it through maybe a side door. Maybe to show you, here's what you know, here's what you've heard, but also here's what you might be missing in this story. So this is Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. That's a long, stinking sentence. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. There's a bunch going on here. And we're just going to, like, pull on this thread and unpack this this morning because I want to show you what's going on, some of the context, some of the background. Let's unpack this. Uh, Luke says this event happened in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So in case you're not familiar with the character web that's going on here, Elizabeth is Mary's cousin, and Elizabeth has a little boy named John, and John becomes John the Baptist. So in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, this scene goes down in the town of Nazareth. Now, a little bit about Nazareth. This is the first mention of Nazareth in the Bible, and there's a reason for that. Do you know what's remarkable about Nazareth? It's unremarkable nature. Nazareth kind of sucks. It's podunk. It's a little town. No one important comes from Nazareth. I grew up in a podunk town. People ask me, like, where'd you grow up? This conversation goes like, hey, like this. Hey, Josh, where'd you grow up? I grew up in San Jacinto. Not San Jacinto, like the white people that grew up where my friends were in that town. But where'd you grow up, Josh? San Jacinto. They say, did you grow up in Mexico? And I'm like, no, no, it's IE, it's right next to, next to Hemet. And people are like, oh yeah, my grandma lives there. She like moved there to die pretty much. <laughs> this is where I grew up. During the early years of my childhood, when you drove into Sanja, Sanja, you had to drive through this like layer of cow manure fumes to get there. And like that smell is actually nostalgic for me now. I hit that and I'm like, ah, oh, there's like a sense of home about that. Growing up in Sanha, you couldn't go to the grocery store. You couldn't go to Stater Brothers. Anybody know Stater Brothers? You couldn't go to Stater Brothers without seeing someone you knew. Growing up in Sanha, many people, they would graduate high school. Well, sometimes they graduated high school. Then they would, if they did, they would take a, maybe, maybe a, a, like one class at the community college, and then they would get this job that they hate just to pay the bills, and then they maybe start a family, and maybe their kids would grow up, and maybe they would graduate high school and maybe take a class. Like people got stuck in Sanha. People get stuck in podunk, where nothing really exciting happens, where nothing really important happens. This is Nazareth. It's a tiny little podunk town in Galilee, where nothing really exciting happens. Nothing really important happens. Scholars estimate in Nazareth, there's about 2,000 people live there. Six miles from the, the closest major road. They had one weak well in the middle of the village. Insignificant Nazareth. And this town would produce the Savior of the world. This town. And he would be known for it. He would be called Jesus of Nazareth. And his followers would be called Nazarenes. Gabriel shows up here to talk with Mary. Now here's what we know about Mary. A few things. First, she's a virgin. What does that tell us? Well, duh, she hasn't had sex before, right? Sure, she's never been with a man. But what it also tells us is that this time, virgins were young maidens, about the age of 12 to 14. So she's very likely a young teenage girl. What do we also know about her? She's pledged to be married. She's betrothed. She's involved. She's unavailable because of this man named Joseph. Now, why is this important? I'll tell you a little something about Joseph. Let's rewind a little bit. Go back to last week. I preached on Advent. It's the Christmas story through Israel's eyes. So we look at the history of Israel. At one point, they're in exile. They've been taken out of their land, slaves in Babylon. They're crying out for a Messiah. And these prophets rise up and say, there's a Messiah that's going to come. It's going to be like the second Exodus. There's going to be like the second Moses that comes. Another deliverer is going to come and free us. We're going to rejoice again. God's going to deliver us again. And he's going to be from the bloodline of David. Our beloved King David. This is what the new king is going to he, do. He's going to come through this. And his throne is going to last forever. So when, when Gabriel shows up to Mary, Israel is now home, but they're still under Roman law. They're still, they still have the tyranny of Rome with the boot of its neck, or with, the, with its boot on their neck. They're, they're feeling like, we sti- like we're home, but we're still slaves. So God, send a deliverer again. Still send this deliverer. We're waiting for the son of David to come free us. Joseph is a descendant of David, and Mary's betrothed to this man. You following? You with me? I know there's, like a, there's a bunch going on here, but it's really going to help make this, this story flourish when, when, it, when, it, when it pops. So I'm going to keep moving. Something about Jewish weddings at this time. This is really important. Three stages. First stage was engagement, which was the formal agreement. It was made by the fathers, actually. So this is a patriarchal culture. It's a male-dominated culture. So the dads would set up a couple for how it would benefit both families. This is the engagement. Second came the betrothal. This was the ceremony. It was, the, it was where the mutual promises were made. It's where a covenant relationship was promised to each other. And this is where Mary and Joseph were. They're in this 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 betrothed piece. And then the third stage was the marriage. It happens approximately one year later, when the groom would come back for his bride at an unexpected time. Because this, this is really interesting. What happened was that they'd get betrothed, and then the, the groom would go back to his dad's house, and he'd build an addition to his dad's house. And whenever it was done, then he'd come back, and he'd surprise his bride, and he'd take her home to, to live at his dad's house. So the groom would say something to this effect. I'm going to go to my father's house, and I'm going to prepare a place for you there. And then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get you, and we're going to go live in this place together if you're familiar with Jesus' teachings, maybe some bells are dinging right now for you. But with Mary and Joseph, again, they're they're in the betrothed piece, this second stage. And according to Jewish law, betrothal, it established a relationship that was binding as marriage itself. So it wasn't just this casual promise. When a couple was betrothed, they were under the obligation of faithfulness. Only divorce could dissolve that relationship. And we're going to come back to that piece in just a little bit. This is Joseph. This is Mary. And then Gabriel, the angel, he shows up to Mary and delivers a message. He makes himself visible. I'm always curious, like, what is going on around us right now that we can't see in this moment? Angels and demons are just doing their thing right now. This angel makes himself visible to Mary and says, greetings. You are you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, similar to our day and age, greetings back then were normal. People greeted each other all over the place. And similar to our day and age, status impacted how you would greet a person. So think of how you would greet like a kid at the park versus a barista at Starbucks versus the mayor of a town versus a congressman. In ancient Israel, social status determine the words you used in the greeting, in the, in the relationship, in the conversation. So let's look at Mary. She's a woman in a male-dominated society, 12 to 14 years old, not yet married. Virtually no status. Virtually no social status right now. So highly favored, God is with you, not normal greetings, even if you were a person that had high status. So this troubles Mary. She's confused. What are you talking about? No one has ever greeted me like this before. I am highly favored. The Lord is with me. And I love that she's troubled by this because it, it reveals something about her character. That, that she's confused by how great this thing is talking of her. Gabriel responds, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. And it's almost, it almost seems like, like a joke to me. It's like this giant glowing being. And he's like, don't be afraid. And he's like, when you read through scripture, people see angels and they get freaked out. He's like, don't be afraid. You're good. Why? Because you found favor with God. He looks on you with pride and with admiration. Then the message, you're going to conceive, you're going to give birth to a son, and you're to name him Jesus, and he will be great. So great that he will be called the son of the most high. He will be the king. He'll rule from the throne of David, his rule will last forever. Now, there's a whole bunch of Bible talk in here, so I want to translate it down a little bit. Girl, you pregnant, and your baby daddy is God, Yahweh, creator, the most high. Ultimate reality is going to place his son in your womb. And when he's born, you're going to name him Jesus. And while Jesus is a common name, this man will be far from common. He will be the Messiah that you all have been waiting for. Your people have been crying out to God to break in and deliver you. Advent, you've been crying out to God for him to burst into your lives and deliver you. This is him. This is him, Mary, the one Israel has been waiting for. He's being entrusted to you. We move past this so quick. Try to see this through Mary's eyes. Given these details, given this, to- this context, how do you think you would respond how do you think you would be feeling in this, in this moment, this big, glowing being just said to you, you're going to have Yahweh's baby? Scripture says she's confused. Gabriel, how can this be? Since I'm a virgin. Translation, I know you're an angel, supernatural. You just came from heaven, all that good stuff. Maybe God never informed you guys how procreation works. You see, when a mommy and a daddy love each other very much, like, what, what do we, like, do you not get that I'm a virgin, Gabriel? Joseph and I haven't consummated the marriage yet. And I love that she pushes back here. She's not afraid to question God. And it's not this, like, the cynical doubting. It's this curious seeking. How can this be possible? I love this because faith demands questions. Questions cause the soul to grow. Questions don't harm faith. They contribute to faith. God's not intimidated, he's not offended by our curiosity, he's honored by it. Mary asks, how can this be? Gabriel responds, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. (sighs) Supreme authority and supreme gentleness just saturate this moment. And Gabriel's language is significant here. This is the same verb used later in Acts when the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples at the day of Pentecost. Tongues of fire, thousands of people come to faith. and the language of overshadowing, it was like a highlighter for Jew- in Jewish tradition. God's presence with his people. Gabriel is saying God's presence, his power, it's going to delicately rest on you and cover you in order that you will deliver the very Son of God. And as if if this is not already mind-blowing enough, let's bump up the spectacular factor one more notch. In Scripture, we don't really have a clear picture of Trinity. The theology of God as Father, Son, and Spirit, it was developed over centuries and centuries of the church and theologians talking together, reading Scripture together. This is about as blatant as we see it. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. The power of the Most High God will overshadow you so that you can give birth to the Son of God. This is Father, Son, and Spirit. The Trinitarian dance blanketing Mary. This is some spectacular drama. We read it. And and for me, at least, it just inspires awe and wonder and mystery and joy. I mean, think about this. Yahweh sends an angel to a teenage girl in Nazareth betrothed to a guy from the bloodline of David to tell her she's going to bear a son. She's going to conceive, give birth to a son. Her son's going to grow up and be the Messiah they've been waiting for. He's going to be the son of God, even. And all this is going to happen without sex. I mean, how truly remarkable. But there's a reason this sermon is called Through Mary's Eyes. You see, this is a truly remarkable story for us. What about for Mary? What have been going through her mind at this time? Let's go back to the betrothed piece. Think about this. The angel asks her to go to her fiancé and tell him she's pregnant. The angel asked her to inform her family, her podunk village, where everyone knows her, where everybody knows everybody's business. She's supposed to go tell all of them, hey, guys, I'm pregnant, and it was God. Virgin conception is a nice Christmas story. It's, a nice, it's not a nice reality story. <laughs> if you disagree, just think of how you would feel, what, you would, what would be going through your, your head if a friend of yours came up to you today with this message. Yo, I'm pregnant. And you're like, really? She's like, yeah, but I swear I've never had sex. God impregnated me. You'd be like, yeah, that's funny. For real, though, what's his name? No, I'm serious. It was the Holy Spirit. Okay, girl, like, we go way back. For real, like, what's the dude's name? His name is Yahweh. I'm not lying. Like, you'd smack your friend. Here's a teenager facing serious rejection. And then this is like an honor culture. She's expected to go shame her family and shame her fiance and shame her village. She's being asked to be gravely misunderstood. And how does she respond? I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Slow down with this piece. I mean, this response carries serious consequences. She's agreeing to receive a pregnancy that would be seen as suspicious, as scandalous, as illegal. In this culture, the, per, the, the price of adultery could be her death. She's, a, she's, being, she's agreeing to be viewed as unfaithful. She's agreeing to be rejected and outcast. This is a severe interruption of her plans, of her desires, of her dreams, so that God's dreams could be fulfilled in her life. So that God's desires, that God's plans would be accomplished in her story. This is the message given to her. God is going to put supernatural life in you. And as you deliver that life, it will redeem the brokenness around you. Mary, you might have a hard time believing this, but God wants to put world-changing power deep in you. And as you deliver that life, it's going to liberate the people around you. What was her response? I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She welcomed the interruption of her plans, of her timing, of her dreams. She welcomed the interruption, and God used her to redeem her and all of her people and all people. This is Mary's story. What I'd like to suggest this morning is that this is not just Mary's story, it's also yours. I'd like to suggest this morning that the message delivered to Mary has also been delivered to you. God is gonna put supernatural life in you. And as you deliver that life, it will redeem the brokenness around you. Like Mary, you might have a hard time believing this, but God wants to put world changing power deep in you. And as you deliver that life, it's gonna liberate the people around you. Now, you might think we live in America, the land of the free. What do my neighbors need liberation from? Shoot, what do I need liberation from? You know, you could argue Americans are some of the freest people ever. Anywhere in the world, any time in the world, in human history, and we're so accustomed to it. Americans, some Americans believe we're so entitled to that level of freedom, they forget there's a cost to that level of freedom. You see, while Americans are wildly free, you could similarly argue that because of the scope of our freedom, some of us are so enslaved and so bound inside of our freedom. See, in Mary's day, they were ruled by Caesar. Rome has its boot on the neck of Israel, and they're crying out for a Messiah God, come save us, deliver us. In our day, we live in a democracy. You may have voted last month, but depression, alcohol, opioids, Peer validation, greed, workaholism, loneliness, they have their boot on America's neck just the same. And the sad thing is, most people don't even realize how bound they are. Most people don't even realize they're in need of a Messiah. And that type of oppression might even be worse than tyrannical oppression because it masks itself as freedom. We're free, we don't even need a Savior. The church is intended to be a liberating force. But that kind of power doesn't happen on our own strength. It doesn't happen on our own life. It has to be supernatural. It has to be divinely conceived in us. In the New Testament, we read about this guy named Paul. He was a follower of Jesus. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. Read today. I want to show you something he wrote to his friends in a neighbor town about 60 years after Mary received the message from Gabriel. This is Ephesians 3. To know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Some key phrases I want you to focus in on His Spirit in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What's He getting at? God intends that His Spirit would exist deep in your bones that Christ would dwell richly in you, that you would be filled to the brim with the fullness of God. You see, when you become a follower of Jesus, when you put faith in him, he sends his spirit to dwell in our bodies. Through his spirit, Christ dwells in us. He abides in us. He makes his home in us. Like Mary, we carry God. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's in you. But what God wants to do in your life far surpasses your life. It's much bigger than your life. He wants to liberate others through you. Amanda loves the song, Mary, Did You Know? Christmas song. Some of you guys have heard it. There's this line in it. Mary, did you know this child you've delivered will soon deliver you? It's so good. Jesus wants to deliver people. He's a deliverer. From addiction, from their distorted self-image, from fear, from ruthless materialism, and the pain of our past, and our obsessions with ourselves. Jesus is a deliverer. He longs to liberate the things that oppress us, He longs to make us whole. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and your heart is just crying out for that. I want to be free. God, I'm drowning in heaviness. I'm overwhelmed by emptiness and meaninglessness and pain. If you don't know, the Christmas story is good news. Jesus wants to meet you in your heaviness and in your pain and in your loss, and he wants to deliver you from that. He wants to deliver you from what has bound you. But here's the thing you also find about Jesus. Our freedom is never just about us. Redemption and liberation and renewal, it always includes us, but it never ends with us. Jesus asks those who carry his name, who walk in his way, to bring deliverance to others as well. God is going to put supernatural life in you. And as you deliver that life, it will redeem the brokenness around you. Jesus' way is through you. As I was prepping for my sermon this week, I was sitting on our couch. And I looked up. We have this shelf kind of above our TV. And we have a little letter board and Amanda likes to change it depending on the season. And she changed it this week to The Weary World Rejoices. That line from that Christmas song. The Weary World Rejoices. And I was just like, I had my computer and I was typing and I was praying and I looked up and I was like, That's it. That's what carrying God in us is all about. The world is broken and tired. We cross paths with people every single day on the road, in our offices, in coffee shops, in the gym, even in our own homes. People who are carrying years of pain, years of burdens. They're looking for joy. LA LA is a city of grinders and hustlers and hard workers and creatives, and they're so good at hiding in their work. If you look real close, almost, almost everyone in LA is weary. Desperately looking for a reason to rejoice. Give me something. A remedy for my weariness, for my burden, for my broken way of living, for my broken way of ordering the world. I'm desperate for new life. And this is what's so crazy about following Jesus. What the weary ones are desperate for is already in you supernatural life, not just life. Life with the supernatural property, something only God can conceive in you. You carry it, and Jesus wants to liberate those around you through you. Now, what does this actually look like? I don't want to keep this abstract up here. I don't want to keep this some, like, nice theoretical talk. What does this actually look like? I'm not talking about throwing Bible verses at people. I'm not talking about making people pray with you. Oh, you're weary. Come, let's pray together in the office right now. I'm not talking about that. Maybe it includes that, but I'm not not suggesting that. I'm talking about entering everything you do this week with a certain mindset, with a particular awareness that you've you've been given the power to walk into every situation, every room, every relationship, and offer wholeness to the brokenness that sits in front of you. Delivering life looks like friendship, it looks like parenting. It looks like coding. It looks like doing homework. It looks like driving Uber and editing and painting and designing dresses and managing people and acting and waitressing. Delivering, ha- Delivering life happens where you do life, it happens when you come alive and where you come alive. Howard, Howard Thurman said Don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive and go do that. Because what the world needs is for you to come alive. God put something supernatural in you so that you could join him in redeeming brokenness. It's not about religious activity. It's about making yourself aware that everything you do is spiritual. It's knowing that everywhere you go, you carry life deep in your bones. And it's precisely that kind of life that makes a weary world rejoice. This is it. This is what it's all about. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. We've got two prayers. I'm going to ask the prayers actually th- this morning to go to the back of the room. We're just going to go into a time of response in worship through song and prayer. Maybe you need to join in song. Maybe you need this song sung over you. Maybe you just need to pray and seek God. Maybe you need one of our friends in the back, Jenny or Saint, to stand with you and pray over you. My prayer over you coming into today has been twofold that if you're weary that if you're burdened that today you'd find rest in Jesus that if you have something weighing you down that Jesus would free you and deliver your heart this morning and second that you would be filled to full capacity with the power of God with the fullness of God so that through you Jesus can redeem the brokenness around you And while that's my prayer for you, do you know what it requires? Do you know what it takes for Jesus to deliver others through you? It requires welcoming interruption. Mary's response to Gabriel, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. So as we move into a time of response, I want to challenge you. You want to see God move in your life? You want to see brokenness around you, redeemed? Start praying Mary's response. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled, God. Start praying it right now. God, whatever you want for my life, I say yes to that. I receive that. Even if it's going to be uncomfortable, even if I'm going to be misunderstood or rejected or outcast because of it, I want what you want. I want my life to be about something more. Something far beyond my own life. I want to join you in redeeming brokenness, God. I t- I'm telling you, you start praying that regularly, you're going to see redemption happen in you and around you all the time. You start praying that daily, you're going to see weary souls begin to rejoice because the life in you is setting them free. Like Mary. May you respond, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. You pray with me? Jesus, we we welcome your interruption. In this moment, in this room, we cry out to you. Deliver us so that we can join you in delivering others. Whatever pain, whatever loss, whatever burdens and anxieties and stress are present in this room right now. Jesus, our deliverer, our liberator, pray that you come fight for us. Come fill us to full capacity with your spirit this morning. Cause us to burst with supernatural light. And may that light cause the weariness around us, this weary world around us, to rejoice. Pray this in Jesus' name.